Thanks for listening to the Word Alive podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching. For more resources, please download our app by typing WAIO in your Play Store. We've been in a relationship now for seven years. And I met him the first time at Jack State University when he was uh, speaking to a freshman uh, group there. It was really exciting. Simon Dean when I was there. And we met this, uh, this man with cowboy boots and tattoos. And uh, he was up there talking. And we thought, he is really cool. Uh, if you look up in the dictionary, Doc's picture is right by the word cool there. And, uh, and uh, he, he was so passionate about making water available. Uh, he fired us, fired Sinai up there with these freshman students. And we went up, introduced ourselves to Doc. And we said, hey, man, do you ever work with churches? And he said, well, I'd love to. He said, but not a lot of churches buy into the wine aspect, you know, of, of what we do. And, and we're like, we're, we're practically wine nose, man. Come on, let's No, I'm just saying. I said, come on out. I said, our church is wide open. And so that's how we made the connection. And it has been a blessed partnership. I was astounded last night, and he'll probably tell you this morning, uh, how, how many uh, people now are drinking clean water because of these efforts. It is so amazing. And so uh, we're excited about that. He and some of his team are on quite a journey. Uh, they left, I think, 23 days ago now from Boone, North Carolina on motorcycles to uh, ride all the way across the country. And uh, they're going visiting all their wine to water uh, uh, friends and partners and groups around the United States, this grass movement, if you will, uh, and stopping in small groups and big groups, but they're having meetings all over. They've already been from North Carolina all the way to the West Coast. Uh, what's interesting is right when the fires were burning there in uh, Northern California, they were right there. Uh, some friends of theirs actually lost their home in the fire, but they were there to console them and check on some partners there. They came right through Vegas, I think day after or two days after that tragic, tragic happened. So I'm having to kind of believe now that their ride is more prophetic even than what they believed or, or we believe because all these happenings right around their ride. So it's like, almost like God has these motorcycle wine-to-water guys almost in a prayer-type intercession across our nation, which is pretty cool to think God could organize something like that. They've come all the way through Vegas, now all the way back to here. They're stopping here with us on the way to Atlanta, then on up the East Coast and back home by next weekend. And so they're on quite a journey, and I'm sure tired and, uh, and a bit road-weary, but we hope we can encourage them today. And we just really believe that Doc has a real word for us today. And so we're excited. He did a great job first service. So would you just join me in giving Doc a big Word Alive welcome as he comes to share with us this morning. Come on. Woo! Thank you all for having us back. Um, I'd love to give you guys an update on where we're at with Wine to Water. Uh, you know, some of you guys may not have even... Know, know much about our story. So I'll give you a little bit of update on that too. We, we got going about 14 years ago and some people um, kind of get it wrong and say, I started the organization and that's not really the case. I just, I just kind of got moved. Uh, the good Lord woke me up in the middle of the night one night and, and uh, couldn't get the phrase wine to water out of my head. Uh, and, and, and about a month and a half later, we held the first event. This was uh, February, 2004. Um, and I just took one step and then another step, and he just kept steering me. And a year later, I wound up living in Sudan in the Darfur region, uh, right amidst the genocide that was happening there in 04 and 05. Uh, and then ever since then, the God, God's just had us on this, this journey that I never expected to be on. You know, and it's crazy along journeys like that. I, I came home from Darfur, and um, I'm, I'm a kind of guy that, that uh, some of y'all may be able to relate. If I look at myself in the mirror... 
Some people maybe had to look and be like, you know, pick themselves up and be confident and be like, I'm awesome. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not one of those people. I look at myself in the mirror and I, and I immediately kind of hang my head. I don't, I don't really like what I see looking back at me. And God brings people into my life, though, to, uh, I think, to help steer me and help move me along. One of my great friends has encouraged me in the very beginning of this to, to get involved and to, to get outside myself. And then when I came home from Darfur, I met my wife. Uh, I was actually ready to quit and give up on, uh, on all this because I was so broken and disheartened afterwards. And, and she um, was able to see something in me that I couldn't see and, and encouraged me. And then years later, organizations do it good. And then we start struggling and we start going down. And then I met a great friend of mine, David Cuthbert, who's also here today, who uh, became a great leadership figure in my life and helped to bring the organization on another track. And so now we've worked in over 25 countries around the world and we've helped almost three quarters of a million people on the planet have access to clean water. And I'll tell you, it ain't got nothing to do with me. Not a thing. And so I decided I didn't really want to talk about all the water work that we're doing, which I love. I love the work that we're doing. I love seeing these communities get access to wells and water systems and rainwater harvesting systems. You know, and you, you're welcome to come on any trip with us. We got five different countries. You can come and dig the wells yourself and build the filters and see why we love this work. But that's not what I'm here to share with you guys this morning. I want to talk about the real story that I, honestly, just up until a few weeks ago, I have been pretty uncomfortable sharing with people. Um, and I, I was thinking for a while the reason why maybe because I've, I've had a hard time around um, a church and, and Christian culture a lot in my life because I, I feel like sometimes people use God and use Jesus as a, as a badge and they, they maybe sometimes not even in a good way. They use his name to do a lot of things that, that sometimes are, are hurtful to different groups of people. And, and so I, I, I like to think maybe sometimes the reason why I have a hard time talking about this kind of stuff is because I, I, I view my faith as, as something that, I, that I've always cherished, you know, and I've always want to kind of protect. But that's not the whole truth. The, the real truth is I'm, I'm just scared. I've been scared for a long, a long time. Um, but this ride that Pastor Kent was telling you about, I think, is helping giving me a little bit of courage to start telling the truth. So I want to I tell you guys that before even that night with Wine to Water, I had the opportunity to go uh, sit in a, in a Bible school for a year and study the good book about eight hours a day, every day for a year. And um, you can imagine for somebody like me, that may be pretty tough because I'm about, as, as, as far as rule following goes, the one thing I was good at in my whole life, I wasn't good at sports, I wasn't good in school, I wasn't really even good at being good. The only thing I was good at is my unique ability to break rules. i <laughs> I'm really good at that. But when you grow up in a family with a daddy as a preacher, man, that normally doesn't work out too well for you if that's the only thing you're good at. So you'd think a guy like me would go study the Bible and it would just make him feel worse, right? That's not what happened. That year of my life was one of the greatest years I, I ever had. And it was hard because there was a lot of rules and regulations in this place. And again, I... I did a terrible job of following him, and I got kicked out numerous times, and the principal was very gracious to allow me to, to finish up my degree there, but 
I'm going to tell you about two stories that gave me really a lot of strength that I, I hold on to a lot, especially these days, that I think are really applicable to our world right now. The, one of the stories I, I love in, in the Old Testament, it's, uh, there was a time of judges. Um, Israel came into the promised land, and, uh, and they had judges that would help rule over, over Israel. God was the king was supposed to be seen as the king, and then he would have put in place judges to speak to the people and to help them. And one of those judges' name was Jephthah. But before he was a judge, he had been kicked out of Israel. Him and his his brothers and their friends kicked him out because his bloodline wasn't pure. His mom was a prostitute. She was a whore. And uh, he wasn't clean bloodline like everybody else and didn't do and say all the right things like everybody else. And so they, they kicked him out of Israel and he went to the outskirts of the nation. And the Bible says that when he got to the outer lying regions, a band of worthless fellows gathered themselves about him. And I started looking and f- figuring out the other spots in Scripture where the Bible talks about worthless fellows. And when it talks about them, it's, it's not a good thing. We're talking like the lowest of the low of society banded themselves about him. And then one day Israel got in trouble Philistines came in and there was atta- they were being attacked and they had to go to battle. And this was a battle of all battles. If they lost this battle, they may lose the entire nation of Israel. The promised land may be taken from them. And they needed help. So they went to Jephthah and his band of worthless fellows and they asked him to come fight with them. Will you help us? Will you fight with us? And Jephthah could have said, no way, man, no way. We're not clean enough for you guys. We're not good enough for you guys. You have fun with that battle. We're just going to stay here in the outer skirts of the, just, you know, in our little safe area here. They didn't do that. They said, okay, we'll come, we'll help. But they said this, Jephthah said, you know, when we win, because we're going to win, which makes me think that even though he may not be pure and clean like everybody else, the one thing he never questioned was who the king was, the real king, who the king of kings was. He knew here who he was, and he knew that if he went and fought, that the king would use him and his band of worthless fellows, and they would win that battle. And he said, so when we win, I'm going to be your next judge. And they said, whatever, man, whatever. You, you come help us out. And sure enough, he came, and they won and he became one of the greatest judges in Israel's history. And, and then not long after that, a few hundred years later, y'all know about an, another very important figure, uh, a, a king that I, I, I try to learn a lot from, uh, King David. Just before him, the first ever king of Israel was Saul. All right, And the people put him up. God kept saying, I'm the one that should be your king. But they kept pushing and pushing. We want a king. We want a, somebody we can see and feel. And so and they picked one. They picked a king who was, I mean, about as perfect as we could imagine, strong and handsome and a great warrior, and they put him in place, and quite a few years rolled by, and his heart began to turn, and he began to do things for himself, for selfish reasons. So God told Samuel, I'm going to pick another king for you. I'm going to pick a king that's after my heart, that doesn't look like you might think he should look. And so he picked a small boy. And you guys know, not long after that, David defeats Goliath. He goes on and wins some great battles. And then Saul, the king, becomes jealous of David. And he kicks him out, or he runs him out because he's trying to kill him. 
So David runs to the outskirts of Israel. And the Bible says that while he's out there in these cave regions hiding from King Saul, all those who are in debt, who are discontent, who are disheartened, all the worthless people began to gather themselves about David. Not long after that, Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle, and Israel was starting to fall apart. Who's going to be the next king? And they're all fighting. And God picked David and his band of outcasts to come and pull the country back together and lead it to some of the greatest years in, the, in, in Israel's history. I've been thinking a lot about those stories that gave me a lot of strength before even that night that God woke me up and talked to me about wine to water. And I think we, we need to hear those stories right now in our history, in our time frame right now. Because I, like Pastor Kent said, I, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm on, on this trip. My wife told me a while back, you know, I think you need to get on your bike and you need to go and you need to see the people. This organization has grown so, so much bigger than you. You need to go and see the volunteers, the people on the grassroots level and have a cup of coffee with them, have a cold beer with them, sit and have a conversation. And so I, I thought it was a great idea. I take off on this journey and next thing I know I'm in Napa and fire's all around. One of our greatest friends and supporters, dad lost their house, their vineyard. We helped evacuate our kids down to the south, and I don't know why he put us there. I don't know why he put us in Vegas right after the shooting. I don't know how somebody can get up in a hotel room with a machine gun and see all these people just trying to enjoy life, families and kids, husbands and wives, and just start mowing them down. I think the enemy's attacking right now, and he's got a... He's got a foothold. And I think now more than ever, we need the outcasts. We need those people on the outsides of society, the worthless, the people that your whole life you may have been told. You know, I, I remember, I, I can hear it vividly, and I, I still hear it sometimes, that voice in my head that's constantly screaming at me that I'm not good enough, that I don't talk like these people or walk like these people or act like these people or pray the same way they do or believe the same way they do. I'm not good enough. That voice is a lie. I promise you it's a lie. I think now more than ever, we need you to stop listening to that lie. There's something deeper that won't scream at you like that voice. It'll whisper to you. It'll just give you a nudge. It'll whisper to you, yeah, you're not like those people. It'll say the same thing, but it's the truth. The enemy can take words that sound almost the truth, and he just spins it a little bit. That's why he's such a good liar. But the king of kings will take the truth, say, you're not like those people, and I need you right now to bring my people together. And so today, on this Sunday morning, I got no business speaking on his behalf. If you could look inside me and see what I see, you would agree. But for some reason, he asked me to, to 
And I want to tell you, this morning, now's the time. All of you who are sitting in your chairs right now, who aren't good enough, who've never been good enough, God wants to use you right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when you get your finances in order, not when you get your kids in order, not when everything's just perfect, because it ain't never going to be. Right today, right now, he wants your heart, and he wants your hands. And I want to give you guys a challenge before I hop off here. You're willing to come in here and give of your time and sit right here for an hour, hour and a half each week and get fed. Pastor Kent will feed you and teach you, and it's an amazing thing. And you guys can worship and, 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 and build each other up here in a community, in this building. But I want to challenge you guys to take that same amount of time once a week and walk out from this building and feed somebody else. You don't have to hop on a plane and come to the jungles and the Amazon with us to do this. You can do it right here. There's so many people in our own backyards right now that are broken, that are hurting, that are struggling with addiction. They're struggling with feeling worthless. They're struggling with all kinds of things that have been pushed down their whole life, been told you're not good enough, and they've had that finger pointed at them. And I feel like, unfortunately, the enemy's got us doing the same thing back. Right now in our culture, all we want to do is take that finger and try to figure out who's wrong. Who's wrong? Is it the liberals? Is it the conservatives? Is it the Christians? Is it the non-Christians? Whoever. That's got to stop. And for this community, and I know from talking with Pastor Kent, the last couple days we're in a season where that's not going to happen anymore. We got no business pointing our finger at other people and figuring out who's right and who's wrong. We can turn that around and we can figure out what do I get to do about this. So I want to encourage you guys on this day, on this Sunday morning, pick a time throughout this next week. Take an hour and a half that you're willing to do here. Take an hour and a half and step outside your comfort zone and go to somebody that's from a completely different background than you. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things I ever did in my life was to hop on a plane and move to Sudan in a 95% Islamic, tribal, black African area in Sudan. I'm a white from a southern conservative Christian background. That's about as opposite a place on the planet as you can get. And God broke down all kind of barriers for me in my life because I had so many fears watching the news and the things that I should expect when I get there. And you know what I got when I got there? My team of guys, our, our group there, they loved me and they served me and our other team members like I'd never seen before. You may have something in your head, a view of a different culture or a different background or somebody because they look different, they believe different, they pray different, they act different. I want to encourage you to take some time out of your week and give your heart, give your hands. You don't have to have money to do this. Take a hot cup of coffee, go down to the bridge where some homeless people are hanging out and share a cup of coffee with them. Go to another side of town that you're not used to going to. Have a meal with somebody. That's what's going to stop these things that's going on right now in our country. 
And I want to be very clear who I'm talking to. God uses anybody. But there's a group of people that have been pushed down for a long time that the enemy has been telling you guys a lie that you're worthless. And that's not the truth. God's calling you out. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is calling you out today and just asking for your heart and your hands to serve Him and love Him. And the way He tells us in the Bible to do that is to serve the least of these. And then we serve Him. Y'all, thank you for being such a blessing to our organization and to my family. It, it is, I can't tell you how excited we are to be back here. And uh, I'm looking forward, maybe heading in the field with Pastor Kent here pretty soon, maybe heading over to India and working with Sai too, and just continuing our relationship together. Y'all, that's a blessing. Thank you. Wow. You know, uh, I said early service that I've quit trusting my ability to hear and just trust God's ability to speak. Because when God wants to say something, he says it so clear. He says it so often that you can't miss it. And God started talking to us several weeks ago about just what Doc Kinley said as a leadership team to me personally. Uh, first thing the Lord spoke to me really clearly was about David. And he said something that was very interesting because I've always figured out how could David be considered a man after God's own heart? He'd made a tragic mistake, obviously, morally. Yet when the prophet came to him, isn't it interesting that the prophet didn't say, hey, you, you, you have made a moral, moral failure. He came to him and he told him a story about justice. He said, hey, there was a guy that had one and a guy that had many. And the guy that had many took the guy's only one and consumed it instead of the many that he had. David's response, he should die. Then he says, you're the man. What, what that meant to me was God, his heart was a heart for God because he had a heart for justice. He wanted the right things to happen to the right people. His heart was a heart for justice, for righteousness. And even though he had had a terrible moral failure, that had nothing to do with his heart for doing the right thing. And I think for too long, we've, looking at, we've looked at everybody's moral situations that they may have felt fallen into or got caught up to. And we bypassed the, the good news is that their heart is a heart after God and doing the right thing. And I'm telling you, God's raising up an army in this season that people have made They've may have had all kinds of failures in the past, but their heart is a righteous heart that wants to see the right things done with the right people. And God's going to use us in this season to do something very significant, I believe, in Jesus' name. Amen? We're in the 500-year Reformation of the church. So this year is the 500th celebration, 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther's Reformation where he nailed the thesis to the door, and it was a reformation of creed. So the church began to believe differently the last 500 years. But I'm telling you, there's another reformation here. You can go back and track church, church history. Every 500 years, it appears that God does something drastically different in the church. One theologian, Tilly, says that it seems every 500 years, God has a garage sale. And he basically sells off those things that aren't useful anymore, like that picture of Velvet Elvis in your garage. You know, those things that are just laying around that aren't very 
very familiar. They were familiar in one season and maybe even useful, but not in this season. And I believe there's a reformation in the church right now that we're entering into, but it's not a reformation of creed like the first reformation was. This reformation is going to be a reformation of deed. In this season of the church, I believe what God is saying, it's not necessarily as important now what you believe, but actually what you do. What are we doing with what we believe? And how sad it is that many churches, every Sunday, we gather around waiting for the pastor to tell us the the next greatest revelation that possibly he could find, but we're not even functioning on the revelations that we already know. And most churches, and thank God we're not bent that way, but most churches are trying to keep Christians happy so that they don't go to another church. And the church has got to have a reformation. We've got to allow God to step into our lives and reform us as individuals and us as the church so that we can be the church that God is calling us to be in this century, in this time, in this season. And I believe Doc, I don't, I, I, Doc says he's not worthy, and, and we all understand that, but I believe Doc is a prophetic voice to the body of Christ that God is sending to awaken an army of people who thought people, who people had given up on, but God has not given up on because he's called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that hurting broken people are going to be used to help other hurting and broken people. Because our favorite scripture in Isaiah 58 says something like this. It says, if you will stop pointing the finger and and you'll stop pointing at other people's issues and actually embrace them and bring them into your life, then God says there's an amazing reward, something like this. You will call, I will answer, and your darkness shall be turned to light. This army he's talking about, I believe, is the army of God in the earth that's already here that God is going to raise up. Isaiah 60 says, when gross darkness covers the face of the earth, then a rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is going to be seen upon you. I believe our church is called not to just be bent in this direction, but to be that. Not just bent in that direction to help the poor and to help the disenfranchised, but to be a church full of those people. So I had an encounter. That's why I said earlier about how the Lord keeps speaking to us, you know, and makes it very clear. About two weeks ago, I was fellowshipping in one of those moments, you know, where the Lord really comes, comes in, the, in the present moment. And he started speaking to me very clearly, and he gave me the scripture that, of himself in Luke 4 that says, The anointing's on me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to declare the year of the favor of our Lord. And just like this, the Lord spoke to me and said, I never, I, I, I never went to the rich. I went to the poor. I never went to the insider. I went to the outsider. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees hated Jesus so bad because he didn't come to the insiders, he went to the outsiders. And when questioned why, he said simply, because the the people that are well don't need a physician. The people who are sick are the ones that need a physician. And so clearly the Lord spoke to me about who we are called to be as a church. And said, Kent, that's who I'm sending word alive to. I'm sending you to the poor. And when I say poor, that's not a label. It's a condition. I've been poor. Spiritually, financially, physically, 
in every other way. I, everybody here's probably been poor at some time. Good news is that's not a label. It's not a permanent situation. It's just a condition that God wants to use us to relieve off people's lives and to set them free and see the anointing break the yoke off their life. But then not just help them, but then they become an army with us to do the same thing for other people. And I'm convinced that's the people that we're called to as a church. And so the Lord really began to speak to me really clearly about it. Like, like make sure that, that we understand where we're headed as a church. That we're not a church who just loves the poor, but we are a church for the poor and of the poor. And I was really interested in how the Lord talks to me. But, you know, there's a lot of competitions in churches. Like, how many comes here and... These are mine and those are yours, right? And Lord says, good news, Ken, if you go for the poor, good news, you'll corner the market because not many people want that. Because they can't give back at this point in their life. They can't tithe. They can't do things that we look for people to do at this moment in, 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 in time. And there's a whole people group out here, I believe, that are disenfranchised on the outside that God's wanting to bring inside, as Doc so powerfully said. We've just got to switch, have a paradigm shift in our mentality to welcome them extravagantly into our lives. Of course, my point, because I'm practical, well, Lord, how are we going to pay for it? Right? I believe the Lord doesn't mind practical questions. Right? How are we going to pray for it? The Lord, I'll just be very transparent, transparent with you. The Lord said, Kent, I've noticed that, you know, after services sometimes you make a specific effort to hug people who you know can help you. I, I, he said, why do you do that? I said, so they'll come back. <laughs> he said, why do you want them to come back? I said, I need the money. <laughs> come on, somebody. It's just, it is what it is. Come on. Lord said, yeah, but if you'll go to the poor, I'll send you the rich. You won't ever have to worry about that. You won't ever have to worry about the money. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, I never preach the gospel to a rich person. I only preach to the poor. But the rich, I sought the poor and the rich sought me. And they came and their question was, what must we do to be saved? Sell what you have and let's give it to the poor. And let's make this world a better place to live in for everybody. Somebody gave me a powerful sentence this, this morning. It's etched in my heart now. Just right after first service. And I've, I, they didn't tell me who said it, but it must have been somebody really smart. They said, I've chosen to live simple so that others can simply live. And I'm thinking it's a change in our mentality, right? When's enough enough for us? When do we have enough clothes, enough money, enough car? When's enough enough? And then let's start moving all of our attention to make this world a better place. Not just financially, spiritually, racially, emotionally. And God's talking to us. So I'm sitting in the connection, and just in our hurry, just two weeks ago, and I'm sitting there, and my, my vision for this place when we built it was that there would be a lot of Christians here. And these Christians would come and they would buy and shop at our Christian bookstore and we would take that money and we would help the poor. And then everything went digital. It was like, great idea for a bookstore right in the middle of a digital revolution, right? 
So we built a cafe thinking that we could be like a Christian Starbucks. So all the Christians would be on their laptops drinking lattes at $4 a pop and we can take that and help the poor. And none of that really worked out and it kind of confused me. And so I'm sitting there two weeks ago and I'm looking and and it just overwhelmed me. I thought, Lord, are you so extravagant that you would build a building like this for the poor? Not to help the poor, for the poor. And I just said this to some friends there sitting. I said, what if this became known as a place that any day of the week you could come get a meal free of charge if you were, if you were hungry? And could, maybe you were a single mom and the budget was tight or you just needed something to eat and you could just come eat for free. They just, it was known in the community. Don't worry, go to Word Alive. You got a free meal, done. What if this was known as just that place that, that you were just welcome just for that? And I just talked about it five or 10 minutes and kind of told them what I just told you transparently, kind of what I felt like God was speaking to me about. One week to the day went by, we're back there in the connection sitting and all of a sudden a wave of these individuals came in the door, supernaturally. We were there and saw it, just a wave. Next thing you know, this family came and they'd been living in their car for two days. A mom and her mom and her mom and her mom and a two-year-old kid. Of course, I'm thinking about my grandkids and how I love them and how, what would I, what would I be going on in my heart if my grandkid was sleeping in a car for two days with nothing to eat? So now they're sitting there having a meal, a nice meal. Got the iPad out for the little, he's playing the game on the iPad and just living like, wow, what a place. Got involved in their lives, got them a place to live, got them a job. Next thing you know, in about an hour and a half, we have them on their way to moving in a different direction. While that's going, a woman comes in with a baby in a carrier, little carrier and a toddler. Her husband's just gotten out of jail. She spent all her money to get his bracelet on his leg so he can now go get a job. Now she's out of money and can't pay the necessary fees so he can move on in his life. Next thing you know, people from this congregation were sitting there eating lunch, got money out of their pocket and gave it to her. And in 10 minutes, her problem was fixed and her family was on the right track. And last week, while I was gone, they were here and they both got saved and gave their life to Jesus last week right here because somebody cared enough to take a step of faith and treat somebody differently, right? But then it got more personable with the Lord. The Lord said, it's one thing to welcome people here. He said, but what about your home? When The Lord asked me, when was the last time you invited a stranger that you didn't know who wasn't like you into your home. Somebody that didn't believe what you believed, didn't look like you, couldn't afford to pay you back. He said, could you imagine if all our houses of light became places where every month that we didn't just fellowship with each other, but we invite our community, people who need to be loved and cared for into our homes and find out who they are and why they're in the situation and start making measures to bring them out of poverty. And he gave me that story like in there somewhere, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, somewhere there. It says something like this, that when you have a party, don't invite everybody that can pay you back and bring you to their party. Invite those who can't pay you back, who can't do anything for you, and bring them into your home. And if the Lord's not trying to speak clearly enough to me, so it's the last night of Tabernacles and three Koreans show up at our church riding a bicycle from New York to Los Angeles. Three Koreans speak very little English. 
I walked by the church. I said, who are these guys? They said, three Koreans riding bicycles. I said, crazy. Who's going to ride a bicycle from New York to Los Angeles? I said, where are y'all going to sleep? They said, we don't have anywhere to sleep. I said, oh. So Bev walks outside. I'm hanging out with three Koreans in the backyard. She's like, what in the world is going on around here? Spent a whole night of fellowship and eating pizza with three Koreans we didn't even know in our house. They spent the night with us. It was the most amazing night ever. I learned so much from them. They don't even believe in God. I asked them, I said, do you believe in God? They said, no. I said, what? I said what's your moral code? They said, that's easy, our parents. I said, what do you mean? They said, we would never want to do anything to bring shame on our parents' name. So we're not going to lie. We're not going to steal. We're not going to uh, be drunk in public. We're not going to do these, these deeds that would embarrass our parents or bring shame to their name. I thought, wow, you don't even know God. You're more moral than most people I'm hanging out. You know what I'm talking Right? Come on, somebody. Our culture, most people don't give a rip about their parents' name or what's going to happen to that. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm here to bless you. You're actually blessing me. But we got to pray for them. And, you know, then I set them up with friends across the nation. My point is, it's like God was saying, Ken, if you guys will just start opening your heart, I'll just start sending them left and right. And I, th- and I had this overwhelming feeling. I said, man, what would it be like to live in a church that we're not just trying to keep Christians happy, but God's just sending us a massive harvest of people who desperately need him and his purposes in their life. And I don't know about you, but just something inside of me would say, I would want to spend the rest of my life just doing that. Living in the harvest with God. Because he says the harvest is white, but the laborers are few. Would it be possible that if we just gave our lives to that, the whole church just gave our lives to that, that God could do something extraordinary in our lives? I believe he could. I believe God could do something extraordinary in our lives if we gave our lives to that. And I just believe that Doc's been sent here on assignment from God to confirm to us, to me, that yes, this is God speaking to me, speaking to us, that we are called as a community to make this kind of difference and live this kind of life as a church. Not to attract other Christians who believe like us, but to attract a world out there that may not believe like us, but desperately want to make a difference in the world and have their heart open to the spiritual things that God wants to do in in their lives and through their lives. And through that, God's gonna raise up a massive army of believers. Isaiah 58 says, they will be the ones that will repair the breach and will make the streets livable again. And I believe darkness is demanding that we change the way we live and change the way we see each other and quit pointing the finger. I wrote this down this morning. I'll leave you with this just before we go. And this is the, uh, the guy that uh, oh, World Hunger, I think, is his organization. Uh, say it again. I forget his name. Anyway, it's brilliant. Here's what he said. It was his translation of Matthew 25. For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, but you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, but you pointed out my behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. And it's Richard Stern. Is that not most of the mentality of the Christian world as we know it today? But I'm telling you, 
God is bringing a reformation to the church and the church of Jesus Christ is going to shine like it's never shown before in this season. And I believe Doc Henley's a prophet to this church that God's raising up. Amen. Come on, let's praise God in this house today. Thanks for listening to this message. If you are blessed by this message, you can give by visiting waio.org or by downloading the Wayo app and selecting Give. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Thanks.